Holiday season is just around the corner, but Toronto FC look to be doing their shopping early this year. They announced last week that Captain Michael Bradley will be back for the next three years, a deal that means even bigger gifts are to follow in the form of another designated player. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and we are back here on the Footy Talks podcast to discuss the biggest headlines from Toronto FC's offseason so far. Plus, we will get you caught up on some other Canadian headlines, including Player of the Year announcements and some transfer talk. Joining me on this week's show, Michael Leach of 680 News is back on the show. Michael, a delight as always to have you on. Well, thanks very much for having me, Mitchell. Well, let's start with the biggest story. Uh, I think potentially was always going to be the biggest story of Toronto FC's offseason just because I, I know there's a designated player announcement very likely to follow, but uh, this announcement opened up that possibility of there being a designated player slot open with Michael Bradley signing a three-year deal on targeted allocation money um, with a club option for a fourth year uh, in addition to possibly a role with the organization in the future. Um, but, you know, I, I really think that uh, this is a an incredible deal for Toronto FC. Obviously, I think it was Maybe the only deal. I'm not sure if I would have brought Michael Bradley back as a designated player, but um, I, I don't think that undermines the fact that bringing Michael Bradley back is incredibly important to uh, not only the not only the identity of the club, but the locker room mix and and you know quite frankly his ability on the field, which we saw during the MLS Cup playoffs. You know, um, maybe isn't where it was when he first came to the club, but is still at an incredibly high level for um, you know a defensive midfielder in this league. So I. I you know, I struggle to find any negatives uh, uh, for, from this signing. Yeah, it's hard to justify a DP contract on a on a defensive midfielder, as you say. Like you wanna you wanna make sure that you're spending that money on guys who can impact the game in terms of scoring goals. And we saw at times last year, TFC really struggle, particularly in the absence of Josie Altador and his fitness seems to be an ongoing you know, a question mark every year. So um, certainly getting Bradley to, to sign on the TAM deal, I think it, it, it speaks to a number of things. And, you know, first and foremost, it speaks to what the city and the club mean to Michael Bradley and to his family as well. But it also speaks a lot to Bradley himself and what his true motivations are. He's always maintained that it hasn't been about money. He never wanted to make his contract an issue. Uh, It was not spoken about even when he would be asked by media throughout the season. He had no interest in talking about it because he didn't feel that that was what a captain and a leader did. Uh, By agreeing to take less money, and not just less money, but a significant um, reduction in pay Mm -hmm. to stay with Toronto FC... And to, you know, you know, basically saying to Bill Manning, if I agree to this TAM deal, will you go out and get another DP? And Manning said that he would. I think it speaks to, to Michael Bradley as a leader and, and a captain and a guy who is all about winning first. That's the most important thing to him. It's not, not paychecks. It's about winning trophies. And I think if you're a TFC fan – and certainly, I think I think you know probably ninety percent of the reaction online from TFC fans uh, was was very very positive. 
Yeah, it certainly was. And, you know, he's come here and, and you know, right away gotten fully involved in so many different facets of the club. I mean, you look at uh, the recruitment of Josie Altador as one example. Um, he just, he's been so influential in, in a lot of things that Toronto FC have done. And, um, I, you know, I certainly like the idea of, of that player option and, and the fact that the club are are looking to keep him around even after their playing days because I think that's one of the ways that Toronto FC really can benefit Canadian soccer in the long term is um you know, having a lot of these great soccer minds, and I do really consider Michael Bradley to be one of those um, coming over here and sticking around. You know, you look at someone like Stephen Caldwell, who's now getting time coaching with the Canadian men's national team, or a Danny Dicchio, who's the top academy coach for Toronto FC. You know, obviously, I would have wished someone like Benoit Cheroux would have stuck around as well. But, you know, having this club as as a means of attracting people from other countries who, um, you know, have solid resumes and can bring something a little different to the Canadian soccer program, I think is, is incredibly important. And I hope that Michael Bradley, you know, is, is someone who's around in, in the Canadian soccer setup for years to come, uh, be that with Toronto FC or even somewhere else potentially. Um, with that being said, you, you know, you did mention the fact that uh, very prevalent in this deal is the fact that Toronto FC now has an open designated player slot and it sounds like um, as I mentioned off the top they're looking to get their shopping done early um, you know Vanny and and Ali Curtis while that deal was being announced were already in South America they're also in Europe uh, a little bit later looking at the next designated player option sounds like they're down to about three or four players they're looking at um all of them attackers, which certainly would make sense considering Toronto FC's strengths. Um, you know, what are what are your, um, I guess, what do you think about that? The fact that Toronto FC looking to get this done early and, um, you know, what type of player do you think Toronto FC needs the most here? Well, I think obviously you want to get it done early because, I mean, with the, with the Pozuelo deal and, you know, part of that was, uh, part of that was a, a result of, the club, I, I hesitate to use, to use the word blindsided, but, um, you know, certainly when Sebastian Jovinko uh, during training camp decided to make the move to Al-Halal, uh, it opened up the, the designated player spot, and they really didn't have a ton of time to act and, and react to that. I think they've hit a home run with Pozuelo, but it took them into the season to get that done. As we know, mm-hmm. there were a lot of pitfalls and, uh, you know, stops and starts, and it, it was a difficult deal to get done, and that that's fairly well documented. So I think it, it's smart for the club because they don't want to have that kind of uncertainty going into training camp, which is just over a month away now. Um, it, you know, sources close to, to the club telling us uh, the other day that, um, you know, the schedule is going to drop before Christmas. So expect mm-hmm. expect MLS to come out with the full schedule in the next few days. Uh, training camp about a month away, it, it's going to go quickly, and they're going to want to get this done. They're going to want to have their group sort of settled and ready to go into the season so that they don't have a lot of the uncertainty that they had uh, going into last season. Very yeah. clearly, they know what they want. They know what they need. They need, an, you know, they need another attacking option. Again, goal scoring dried up at points last year. Um, they, they need, if not secondary scoring, if Altador is not available, they need primary scoring. I think they're going to look for a guy who is uh, versatile 
up top, can play on the wing, but also can play in front of goal as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think there's absolutely no appetite for Toronto FC at this point to, um, you know, go into the season with any uncertainty. I mean, it, it literally took them probably until the summer to to get things fully figured out. And a big part of that was, uh, you know, those Pozuelo designated player um you know uh, negotiations of the fact that everything else that surrounded that you know that was such an important piece that they needed to get done first before they looked at their wingers or or added even a defender as well in Omar Gonzalez so um yeah I do think that you know they're, they're certainly looking to get that done early and and go into the season with uh, a little more time to to gel and not have to do that you know mid-season uh, as they had to this past year the other big announcement from this press conference or I uh, I don't know if it's the biggest announcement, but Nicholas Benize, unlikely to be back, doesn't sound like the club has the money to get him done on a TAM deal, so he'd have to come in under the salary cap. Uh, judging by his his tweets, or at least a couple of emojis he sent, that it doesn't sound like that's that's going to happen. Um, you know, for me, I I certainly think Benize had a had a nice influence on the club. Certainly was solid in the in the playoffs and um, a, a nice goal against Atlanta United as well, which will probably end up being his biggest moment with the club. But uh, with that being said, you know, I, I I don't think he's an irreplaceable player. And I think Toronto FC, um, you know, uh, I th- there's there's still some other options that Toronto FC have around, especially if they're going to bring in, as you said, a flexible attacking player. You know, you've got Gallardo, Schaffelberg, Endo and Deleon already on the side. So, uh, I, while, you know, I certainly would have been nice to have Benazay back as an option. I don't think this is uh, the biggest deal that uh, looks like he's moving on. No, I, and I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of, uh, again, reaction online, uh, people not happy that Benazé more than likely won't be back with the club. It wouldn't completely close the door, but I would say it's about 90 to 95% closed because of the fact that the TAM deal that that Bradley uh, is is exercising basically negates any possibility of Benazay having a similar thing. So as you say, he's got to come in under the cap. I'm not sure he's too interested in doing that. He was here on a loan. So I think it's probably, you know, it, it's best for both parties to to move on at this point. Uh, and I'm, sh- you know, I'm not sure for TFC. He did have a couple of nice moments, a couple of moments of flair. Certainly you mentioned the, the Eastern Conference final, the goal that he scored against Atlanta United, but I mean, outside of that, I'm not sure that he's a linchpin here, and I'm not sure that he's a guy that had such a substantial impact that his departure will will have much more than a slight ripple effect within the team. I'm, I, you know, nice player, wasn't here all that long, and not sure really how much impact that he truly had. Another depth signing Toronto FC made up top, or, or at least depth selection in the re-entry draft was Juan Agudelo, a 27-year-old's um, attacker who's mostly played for the New England Revolution, uh, a player who um, I, I, you know, I, I think they're looking to do something similar to, to Nick Deleon last year, where uh, they're getting a guy kind of after a, a down year, but someone with plenty of MLS experience. And, you know, at 27, he still has uh, several good years ahead of him. Um, you know, if Obviously, if, if things get done here, I, I like this. I like this ad because um, 
you know, it's kind of in the same vein. I think Toronto FC for a little bit there went away from uh, some of their core MLS signings, but I think it's always important to have at least a few guys every offseason coming in who are familiar with this league and uh, kind of know the the day in day out uh, rigors of it because you know it is a unique beast and and it's not for everyone certainly. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you mentioned Nick Delion, and, and that was the first name that came to mind for me. Obviously, they've got to get a a, a deal done with with Agudela. Uh, but this is kind of really in the vein of the kind of signings that are, that are very prototypically TFC. They find guys who maybe have fallen out in certain places or just need a change of scenery. You look at Sebastian Jovinko, um, wasn't getting the minutes that he felt that he probably deserved at, at Juventus. Uh, you look at Josie Altador bringing him in on the swap with Jermaine Defoe. Uh, he needed out of Sunderland. You look at, and, and certainly Deleon fits into that as well. And you mentioned the MLS experience. And I think for a period there, particularly in 2018, when they brought in a, a couple of guys like Gregory Vanderweel and, and you know, a few of the other guys, Edgar Akeche, from Europe without the MLS experience, not really knowing what they were getting into. Um, Deleon as a, as a reclamation project with the MLS experience proved to be very, very valuable for TFC. He didn't, you know, is one of those guys kind of a utility player. He could, he could defend, he could attack, he could play out wide. He could, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of player. And with that MLS experience, although he didn't play all the time, when they needed him most in the playoffs, Nick Deleon, sh- you know, he-, he showed up, answered the call, and played really well. And I think the, the hope, at least for Bill Manning and Ali Curtis, Greg Vanny, and the-, the front office of this club, is that they can have similar sort of results with Aguadelo. Uh, I I like this. I like this uh, this pickup in in the uh, the reentry draft. Uh, you know, uh, they got to get a deal done, obviously. But I think it could reap some big rewards for TFC just in terms of depth. Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially, you know, the the prototypical Toronto FC signing. We've seen a, a lot of signings that Toronto FC were able to get done. I think Victor Vasquez certainly falls into that category as well, where, um, as you said, they found people in, in situations that weren't necessarily conducive to success and, and were able to bring them into Toronto for a little bit cheaper as a result and and end up, you know, <laughs> reaping the benefits, certainly in, in all of the aforementioned cases. So uh, if they can do that with Agudelo as well, I think obviously that he's going to have to come in much cheaper than the 575000 he made uh, last season. In for Toronto FC to get a deal done, but uh, we'll we'll see um, what happens there. Um, on the departure list, um, I, I know it was a while ago, but we haven't had a had a show in the last little bit just because there hasn't been maybe enough news to um, really warrant one. But Drew Moore on his way out. I just wanted to talk briefly, uh, you know, about the impact he's had on this club, and and certainly a departure that I think makes sense from a salary cap standpoint. But a player that will be missed, and a person that I think will be missed in Toronto as well. Yeah, it, it, for for Drew Moore, um, I can't say enough good things about him. You know, certainly as a player. He came in, he was signed in that offseason between 2015 and 2016 when TFC had put the offensive pieces in place with Altidore and Jovinko 
but they couldn't keep the ball out of the back of their net. And when they when they struggled to score, particularly in that playoff game in Montreal, they still conceded three goals and ended up getting blown out of, out of that game. The team went and signed Clint Moore, uh, Clint Irwin, Drew Moore. I believe, I believe Beta Shore came in yeah. at the same time. That to me, those signings were just the next evolution, and they're not the biggest signings. They're not the biggest names. They're not good. They're not you know flashy players, but they're the players that you need to win championships. And I cannot say enough about Drew Moore's impact on that back line. Certainly as a communicator, I do though believe that. Father time is catching up with Drew Moore, and we mm-hmm. saw it this year. He's, you know, to say he's lost a step, he's probably lost three or four. Uh, my my suspicion is that this is this this uh, signing in in Colorado for him is a bit of a victory lap, a chance for him to go back to a club that he had tremendous success with, won an MLS Cup with with the Rapids. Um, I certainly wish him all the best because you will not meet a classier guy. And you will not meet a guy who sort of gets it better than Drew Moore does. Just a sort of personal anecdote. Uh, James Grossi, our, our colleague, and I uh, were at training this summer one day. And we, we, we probably had about a 25, 30-minute conversation with Drew on the record. Almost not, almost not exclusively not about soccer, but most of it sort of just revolved around life and Canada and life in Toronto, certainly, you know, coming to to Canada as a Texan and just the way that he kind of gets what Canada is. And Bradley, it's the same thing, sort of highlighting the inclusivity and the diversity of Canada. And one thing that Drew said to me that will stick with me is that he said, when when you walk down the street in Toronto you see all different faces from different places and, and every kind of color and shade under the sun, but they're all Torontonians. And that I thought was really, really cool. Um, certainly he'll be missed um, in, in terms of us uh, as the media because he was, he was absolutely great to deal with. Uh, I believe as a player and, and a leader, he'll be missed certainly as well, but TFC not short on leadership. I think... This was obviously something that had to happen in this offseason. No, yeah, certainly I, I agree with all that. And um, a great character and, and a guy who I think at times probably provided, and I don't want to you know, get too much into the locker room dynamics because certainly I'm not in there, but I, f- I feel like a guy who at times maybe provided a bit of uh, a bit of lightheartedness when, you know, Michael Bradley certainly can get a little intense. But with that being said, certainly when Drew Moore stepped on the field, you know, there was there was no lighthearted play. He was an intense competitor and and obviously someone who, as you said, um, w- was very much part of one of the key evolutions of Toronto FC as a side coming in and, and, and shoring up the back line. And I think... After he went down injured in in 2018, um, everyone really saw uh, the impact that he had. Kind of the you know when he when he was gone uh, there for that Champions League run and, and thereafter. So uh, a player that, like we said, will very much be missed in Toronto and, and leaves behind quite a legacy for himself. Um, let's move on now to talking about some more league wide topics and and another uh, big bit of transfer news. 
out in BC where uh, apparently there's a tank right now parked out yes, in there front is. of BC Yeah, place. I'm looking at the picture of it right now. Yeah, it's uh, with a number nine on it and a Vancouver Whitecaps logo. The allusion, uh, uh, I guess, there would be to El Tonque, the, the signing expected to be announced this morning from the Vancouver Whitecaps, that being Canadian international Lucas Cavallini, 26-year-old striker who's coming from Puebla in Liga MX. Um you know, certainly coming off a quite horrible season for Vancouver, a, a, tr- a transitional season, I think, that was expected under Mark DeSantos. But with the way things have gone for the Whitecaps in recent years, they they really needed some signings to move the needle. And, um, you know, this, this obviously isn't a player with massive international recognition, but I think within Canada and I, I think within North America, this is a, a very solid signing and one that, um, you know, one that I think will work out very nicely for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yeah, the Caps needed some scoring for sure. They didn't do that enough last year. Uh, Cavallini, you know, five goals, two assists in 17 games for Puebla in Liga MX. Uh, I think this is a, a nice signing. Uh, reported that it's about a $6 million transfer fee that he's coming in on. So, you know, it's they they need to they need to show their fan base that they're taking steps forward. I think it's a nice signing. I'd like to, you know, they, they've obviously got to put a little bit more around him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't think he's going to be able to do it on his own. But t- to me, I think this is a step in the right direction for the white caps without question. And, and to have a Canadian international um, playing at a Canadian based club, it doesn't hurt on a lot of levels. Yeah. As you said, this, this certainly can't be their only signing of this, this off season. They've got to go out there and, and add some pieces around him. But, uh, you know, certainly we've seen with Canada, he's a hard worker and, and someone who has a nose for goals. And that was definitely something lacking up top for them this past season. I, I think they have some very nice pieces in the midfield and Huang and Baum and, uh, you know, Russell Tybert, the, those sort of players, but, uh, certainly missing that that kind of, you know, number nine play up top. They they tried to sign some guys that none of them really worked out. So uh, we'll, we'll see if this one works out for them. Obviously, um, you know, from, from a Canadian men's national team standpoint, uh, certainly hoping that this is a good fit here. Uh, speaking of the Canadian men's national team announced early last week, um, the, the player of the year for both the Canadian men's and women's national team, Ashley Lawrence, um, given the women's national team player of the year, while Jonathan David gets the men's national team player of the year, uh, back-to-back teenagers for Canada winning the awards with, with Davies winning it last year. Um, and a, a pretty incredible season for Jonathan David this year, obviously the, uh, gold cup, golden boots, um, scoring the most years or most goals in a calendar year or tying that record rather with the Canadian men's national team and continued success against until get another opportunity we learned today um you know with with Ghent drawing Roma in the Europa League which is a, a pretty big fixture for them so um exciting proving ground ahead and uh, you, you have to think if he keeps scoring at this rate he's not going to be in the Belgian league for long no you gotta wonder and I you know for all the talk about Alfonso Davies and what he's doing with Bayern Munich um David to me Really, really was probably the most impressive um, player with the Canadian men's national team in 2019. 11 goals and 12 appearances. Uh, There's not much more you can do than that. Uh, And certainly, you know, his performance at Ghent throughout this season, uh, you know, unbelievable. Um, I think that the future for him is bright. And, 
you know, with him and Davies um, being so young, I think the future is probably bright, at least in the short term for, for the Canadian men's national team, um, you know, heading into 2020 and beyond. Uh, yeah. He, you know, not much that you can add to, to what, uh, to what Jonathan David has uh, done on the pitch this year. Yeah, you mentioned Alfonso Davies as well, and certainly he's been getting a lot of praise recently for his play at Bayern Munich. I know when he went over last year, and and he didn't necessarily get a ton of minutes, obviously an incredibly difficult side to break through. Uh, there was some concern about his development, but um, you know some injuries this year, and now he's been uh, an incredibly consistent contributor for Bayern Munich, and at that light or at that left back role. Um, you know, it's. I think the thing that's been most impressive for me has been that consistency. You know, obviously getting consistent starts, but a solid performances in each of them. And it's not like he's putting in a six out of ten every week. You know, it's a, it's a seven out of ten or even higher with some of the recent Champions League performances as well. So, um, you know, there's going to be obviously continued debate as to what his best position is with the Canadian men's national team. But um, to see him break through at at one of the top clubs in the world and um, be such a strong contributor for them I know he's been getting all kinds of praise um, from inside the Bayern Munich camp they're incredibly thrilled with what they've seen from Alfonso Davies this year and uh, you know with with the way that he's gone up and and played against some of the, the top attackers in the game you know you think Jaden Sancho in the game against Borussia Dortmund or or Son against Tottenham um, you know th- this this has certainly been an incredible year for Alfonso Davies yeah there's a saying that uh, you know the tape doesn't lie uh, and with him, just you know, he he's passing the eye test every week. And obviously, to be a consistent starter at Bayern Munich, you have to pass the eye test every single every single time you're out there. And just the you know, you talk about the the, the debate about whether you know what position he should be. I I look at him and I see a player who is using his pace the 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 way he closed down I think it was Sun against um Tottenham late on in that game uh, he came from 20 yards away and closed him down and the and it's not just closing him down it's the way that he dealt with Sun once once he got to him it was such a nice clean tidy challenge just playing the ball away it was safe and uh, you know, maybe he is a better left back than what I thought. Um, again, just watching, watching what he can do, and and some of the the the, the flair and the certainly the pace out on the wing for for Bayern Munich. It's I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him uh, grow and develop even more with that team as as things go forward, and what that does in terms of the national team when he comes back to play with with Canada is just absolutely immeasurable. Yeah, he hasn't always looked comfortable as a, as a fullback for Canada, but no. you know, at, at some point I think back so I ahead. think back to and and the sort of my my rationale for not really liking him in the left back role is at the Gold Cup, I believe it was against Mexico. Yeah. He played at left back and he got beat a couple of times quite badly and I thought eh, this is you know he's playing out of position and then to watch him in that Champions League game against Tottenham in particular and some of the other games that he's played you know in the Bundesliga with 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 Bayern 
whatever whatever the coaching has done for him over there, his defending, his ability to defend is light years ahead of where it was even just a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly the case. And, and you know, we've seen that development from him, and that's obviously pretty exciting that he can um, hone his skills so quickly. Uh, I think also certainly, and I don't think this comes as any surprise, even with all the injuries they've had this year, Bayern Munich's back line uh, uh, just a little bit better than Canada's. So I think, um, you know, maybe even some of the breakdowns that happen further up the field or in different spots, um, you know, kind of – end up on Alfonso Davies' side of the field and it doesn't look great on him. So uh, I wonder if that's contributing as well um, to some of his play at left back for Canada. But um, definitely something to, to watch going forward here is, as you know, the, the his future with the national team and and what role they end up putting him in. Um, certainly it's, it's working out at Bayern Munich right now. One more player I, I did want to talk about before we wrap up here, uh, a bit of Canadian Premier League news and and just a headline that, that caught my eye um, in terms of all the player movement that's been happening there. Uh, Hanson Boakai, uh, a player who, uh, you know, if you want to talk about Davies, this was kind of the the Davies before Davies in terms of a uh, really high-end Canadian prospect, a player that a lot of people had very high hopes for, the youngest ever player to play an NASL game um, when he was just 16. And he really did look like he was going to uh, break through at the highest level. He went over to Europe uh, later that year, but uh, essentially just toured around Europe and played in a number of different places, was never able to find any permanence. Um, he's coming back now to Edmonton at, at 23, and, and I guess kind of a, a fresh opportunity for him to, um, you know, maybe take that potential and, and um, you know, be able to, to kind of turn things around here where uh, in Europe it just really didn't work out for him. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what he can do with FC Edmonton. Um as you said, you know, really didn't catch on in Europe. And, you know, sometimes that's not not necessarily on the player. Sometimes the player just doesn't adapt to the culture or, you know, the, the, the right manager is not in place. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens here and, and what his level of confidence is like at mm-hmm. this point in time after kind of making that journey around Europe. I think it's an interesting signing, certainly a chance for him to go home. There's certainly an opportunity here for him to flourish. Um, But, you know, as we saw with a number of players coming into the Canadian Premier League this year who we thought might be able to have success, they didn't end up having it. So it's, you know, it's a bit of an unknown. Um, Certainly I I have, you know, for, for FC Edmonton to take a shot on him, um, good on them f- for doing so. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if he can sort of find his, you know, find his way, find consistency within a team uh, and consistency in terms of performance um, after having made such a bumpy journey around Europe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly an interesting signing and one that, uh, you know, I think is is very important in the, in the development of this 
Canadian Premier League is the fact that it gives the opportunity for players like like Hanson Boakai, where it didn't necessarily work out in Europe, to come home and and hopefully relaunch his career. I know I I certainly haven't seen him play in uh, no. five years or so. So well, uh, and he, he almost hasn't played in yeah, five years. Point. I mean, I'm I'm looking, you know, Inter Turku, two appearances in 2019. Mm-hmm. Like that's. He basically had the, you know, the basically didn't play the entire of 20, 2019, 23 appearances in 2018 better, but you know, before that 2017, two appearances, 2016, four, this is a guy you say you haven't seen him play in five years <laughs> because he pretty much hasn't played in five years. So again, that's a, that's another, you know, that's another issue that Jeff Paulus is going to have to deal with, um, with this player coming into, into the FC Edmonton system. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, but like I said, a player, um, who really had all kinds of potential. I mean, like I mentioned, I mean, the, the Davies comparison isn't perfect, but he really was, uh, you know, for, for a while there. I mean, there's a YouTube video. I, I think it was maybe put out by his agent. So uh, maybe not the best uh, indicator, but they called him Canadian Messi. So uh, at, at one point there was a lot of hype for this player. And and now we'll see if he can uh, maybe rekindle that a little bit. And, and I'm excited to see if he does so. Uh, but we're going to uh, wrap up the show there. Uh, Michael, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks very much for having me, Mitchell. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Unless something major happens in the next few weeks, uh, this will likely be the last Footy Talks podcast for the year of 2019. I hope you uh, enjoyed what we were able to do this year and and certainly look forward to uh, continuing to improve and, and tweak the show as we go into 2020. So thanks for the support and have a happy holiday season, everyone.